All right, everybody. So we have Dr. Dom Diagostino with us today. Uh, he has a PhD in neuroscience and physiology, and he is a professor at the University of South Florida College of Medicine. So welcome, Dom. Great to be here, David. Thank you. And uh, I know you just recently did the Joe Rogan podcast, so that makes me feel a little better myself. I've got a Joe Rogan guest on my show here. So, um, cool. And you, know, you mentioned you wanted to have my donation go to the Charlie Foundation. So can you yeah. just explain why you chose that one? Yeah, the Charlie Foundation was the first thing that came up on a Google search uh, 10 years ago. So the ketogenic diet wasn't very big 10 years ago, uh, but I was studying seizures and I was studying it in the context of uh, understanding oxygen toxicity seizures that limit Navy SEAL or Special Operations Forces as it pertains to diving. And uh, and uh, the story of Charlie Abrams really inspired me, and his dad, Jim Abrams, a Hollywood producer, uh, made a movie with Meryl Streep uh, called First Do No Harm, and I, I think it's free on YouTube. You can look it up, and watching that movie and hearing the stories about uh, how the ketogenic diet can be used to manage epilepsy and really, in some cases, cure epilepsy, which was the case for Charlie Abrams, uh, really inspired me, and they do more work serving the ketogenic diet community from a clinical standpoint than any other foundation I know of. Awesome. And, you know, obviously a lot of people know you as the keto expert now, um, but you, you mentioned like your background is neuroscience originally. So yeah. when you began that search, what caused you to even look into uh, ketosis as a, you know, medical agent? Yeah, I, uh, well, I did my undergrad in nutrition science and biology and then uh, the 90s was kind of the decade of the brain. So uh, I was really passionate about nutrition, but I couldn't really see like the job frontiers in nutrition. It didn't didn't offer like a whole lot of opportunity. Uh, so I majored in neuroscience and uh, I took a track in my postdoctoral fellowship to, to study seizures. And I was mostly looking at anti-seizure drugs and what drugs could be used for the types of applications that, that I was, you know, looking at it from a military perspective. And the types of seizures that I was studying were resistant to drug therapy. And I saw that, you know, I asked the question, what do people do who have drug resistant epilepsy? And I stumbled upon the ketogenic diet and I knew of it from bodybuilding, you know, and fitness community. But I actually didn't know what it was. I thought it was just like a low carb, you know, high protein, low carb diet. But it's actually, you know, high fat, moderate right. to low protein and uh, very restricted in carbohydrates. Uh, so uh, and I thought it was a fad diet. But I realized, you know, from PubMed research and peer, this was a legitimate uh, medical therapy that was actually the standard of care for for seizure disorders. And now a growing number of, of applications, actually. So uh, as, as a person, as a postdoctoral fellow who just finished their PhD, they need to basically develop their own independent research program. And uh, I saw the vision of basically developing uh, a ketogenic strategy for the Navy SEAL warfighter and for a special operations community. And, uh, and I kind of dug in deep and it was a, I faced some resistance from different fronts, but, uh, it all worked out very well as far as, you know, getting the funding required to do the type of research that I needed to do for the department of defense and the Navy. And, uh, and it led off into other projects like looking at cancer, 
looking at inflammation, looking at a variety of rare diseases, including Angelman syndrome, metabolic diseases, uh, genetic diseases like Kabuki syndrome we're studying now. Uh, it's led me down paths that I could have never, you know, uh, ever thought of in a million years. Like we're looking at ketones as an epigenetic therapy by virtue of their ability to actually turn on and turn off different gene pathways. So I just understood ketones as a metabolic fuel that yeah. your brain can use. But now, you know, they have all these signaling properties and uh, I never would have guessed it would have gotten as big as it did. And I think, you know, the right people kind of talked about it and it went down some, some channels and the diet does work in the context of body composition changes too. So I think that's very attractive to a large majority of people out there. It's very effective for weight loss and things like that. Sure. Yeah. And it is very interesting. Like you um, in college, I studied exercise science and nutrition, and I just didn't really know of, you know, how to use that as a career as far as, you know, I mean, you could be like a trainer or things like that, but I didn't see yeah. too many options for that. And then now it's huge. And, you know, you've got yeah. tons of people doing coaching and the research in that area has really blown up. So it's cool to see that. Um, now, like you, I, I first heard about the ketogenic diet from a bodybuilding standpoint, and I think you've gone on to say before that you don't even believe that it's optimal for muscle growth, um, if I remember correctly. So how would you modify, for somebody who is doing a ketogenic diet but still wants to gain some muscle, how would yeah. you modify it for optimal muscle growth, or do you think for optimality you would just scratch a ketogenic entirely? Yeah, I mean, you could definitely grow muscle and get size and strength on a ketogenic diet. But I do think adding some carbohydrates in creates, uh, you know, another fuel that that drives insulin, which is an anabolic, you know, hormone and things like that. But you could simply do a modified ketogenic diet and instead of 15 or 20 percent protein, you could boost it up to 30 or 35 percent. I think uh, no more than 30 or 35, I think, is needed. But if you're doing, you know, a clinical ketogenic diet with 15, 10 to 15% protein, it's hard to grow muscle on that. But if you're doing more 25 to 35% uh, percent protein, that's the kind of diet I think that uh, a lot of people would be responsive to. Um, if you're a young kid playing football and things like that, a ketogenic diet might be hard. Your body's, you're very insulin sensitive at that age, typically, especially if you're lean. So, uh, I think the utility of the ketogenic diet from, from a fitness standpoint is uh, for weight loss. You know, we go through cycles, everybody, whether you're playing a sport, getting, you know, in shape for the beach or summer or whatever, or just want to lose a few pounds. I do think that the ketogenic diet offers a lot of advantages, not necessarily ketogenic, but just low carb too, uh, for, you know, suppressing your appetite, preserving lean body mass as you're losing fat because the ketone bodies are anti-catabolic, they're protein sparing, and they also have anti-inflammatory properties that I think could aid uh, in recovery, could aid in, in, other, in general health too. So I, I do think the ketogenic diet really shines in the context of a calorie deficit. So when your calories are you know at a deficit and you're trying to lose weight, which at any given point, most people are. Mm -hmm. So I, I think uh, I think it's worth a try for, for people to experiment with with this approach. So uh, it's interesting. You actually seemed like the biggest modification you made there was higher protein, but not really yeah. adding in that much with carbs. You still think like the biggest change would be at increasing protein? Uh, I think so too. Well, yeah, I I think that 
it depends on you know what your goals are really so i don't i don't want to kind of give any particular prescription but if to stay in ketosis necessitates that you really keep your carbohydrates restricted and that they are primarily non-glycemic as much as possible fibrous carbohydrates you know vegetables no starch very little starch and very little sugar i might get maybe a half a cup of blueberries a day and that would be like you know my carbohydrate load <laughs> for the yeah. day you know uh i could still stay in keto if i have that in the evening with a snack or something like that by noon the next day i'm usually like in ketosis and uh, I feel like I'm getting like a lot of the benefits of ketosis without necessarily being very strict, you know, mm -hmm. definitely not as strict as someone using it for medical, like for seizure disorders or sure. something like that. And uh, the foods that I eat, I really enjoy. So uh, I indulge in foods that I otherwise avoided, like for many years, I don't know, maybe you too, threw out all the egg yolks, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, or you just keep one or two in or now I use butter. Now I, you know, full fat, uh, you know, cheeses and, and fatty cuts of meat and things like that are part of what I eat now. And otherwise, for many years, I avoided that. I avoided, I ate as low fat as possible, actually. Yeah, for a while, I was actually just doing pure egg yolk omelets. Just <laughs> Yeah, I do that too. Yeah. Because the protein was too high. Um, and you're going on what, like 10 to 12 years of keto now? Yeah, over 10. Wow. Over and 10, yeah have you are you still noticing like at what point did you stop noticing changes i know some people say they think it could take years for full adaptations to really occur yeah uh it's kind of hard to say because i started with a classical ketogenic diet because i wanted to understand what patients were following and then in 2008 uh eric kossoff from johns hopkins published a couple papers on the modified ketogenic diet for adults which instead of like 15% protein, it was like 30%. And uh, at that point, I was pretty keto adapted. I was eating almost a classical ketogenic diet, doing a lot of blood work to really understand the diet from the patient perspective and, and how we could change the diet to make it better. And uh, as soon as I started adding protein back in, I think around that same time, my strength started getting back to where it was when I started the diet. And uh and I think my body just thrives off of a higher, a little bit higher protein level. Um, so I don't, I think in the beginning, I definitely lost some strength and size. And, you know, the, the way it kind of works is that when I started this, I, I got into a tenure track position and then my time to be in the gym and, and to work out was a little bit less. But interestingly, I probably cut my actual time in the gym by half, but I was able to maintain the strength on, on a lot of the major lifts. Okay. Uh, I think even a couple years into it, I know even training with Lane Norton uh, at the time we were deadlifting. I remember doing three times my body weight on deadlifts, like for reps, like for four or five or something like that. And I had not done that before. You know, uh, I could never do three times my body weight, maybe for a single, but to be able to do reps with that. Yeah. So my, my, you know, my body to weight, uh, strength to weight ratio definitely increased in, yeah. in that regard. Yeah. It, it's kind of um, interesting for me, I guess. So I've never been someone who I felt reacted like great to carbs. Like I would get sleepy. Um, and actually, so like I said, I think maybe I said it before we started recording was the first time I did a ketogenic diet was in high school. So I was yep. 16 or 17. Um, and I put on a lot of size and strength. Now I was obviously in a surplus. 
Um, and I did put on a lot of fat. Yeah. I mean, I, I was pretty much just doing a, a full on bulk. But when I hear people say like, you can't gain muscle, it's just like crazy to me. Like maybe it's not optimal, but you can certainly gain muscle. Um, and I've done it several times since then. And I've never actually had, um, and again, maybe I just adapted well to it, but I have better energy, but I've never had this like huge crash in strength or anything. Now I've never done like you where I go like 90 yeah. or anything like that. I usually do a modified. Um, yeah. But I, I honestly have never noticed a decrease in strength or size personally. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's, uh, the variable there is protein, right? So if you just titrate your protein in to meet your protein needs, uh, protein has an insulin effect too, a small insulin effect. So you're really, I think, uh, adding in the protein will prime your body for growth, especially if you're a younger guy. Actually, I think if you're older too, I think there's distinct advantages to a ketogenic diet as we're older. Uh, our carbohydrate tolerance uh, goes down as we age. Uh, maybe Lane would argue about that, but I really do think that uh, our ability to tolerate carbohydrates as we age uh, goes down. And I think that's people generally are more responsive in a positive way to the ketogenic diet, a low carb diet, you know, as we get older. So I, I noticed that I'm in my mid forties now and I noticed, you know, uh, I think my body just thrives better on this diet than it would in previous diets that I was following 20 years ago, you know? Um, and when I started it, the first, actually just recently, it was the probably the worst adaptation I had, I think because in the past I had always put carbs in, I was doing like a cyclical ketogenic diet. And this time I just did full on keto with no carb ups or anything like that. Um, I noticed a pretty significant increase in resting heart rate. I was normally around 40 or 50 and I was going up to about 70 and I would wake up in the middle of the night with like near 100 beats per minute. I actually ended up going to urgent care just to get an EKG because I didn't know what was going on. Um, and I tried increasing sodium like crazy, um, a bunch of different things. And I never really found a solution. I think my body eventually just adapted because now I, you know, I feel totally normal. Um, yeah. Is that something you see a lot? And other than trying to increase electrolytes, is there anything people can do for that? Yeah, hydration, electrolytes, magnesium, uh, sodium. A lot of funky things go on with electrolytes when you start. Uh, one way to do it is just to ease into it and, you know, get your body adapted. If you're doing two, 300 grams of carbs a day, just try a hundred grams. And if you're starting this and then, uh, follow that for some periods of time. And when you start the ketogenic diet, your insulin, and I, I measured insulin went down a lot. Like it was about a third of what it was, you know, on what I was doing a normal diet, standard diet. And the, the suppression of the hormone insulin really caused your body to dump a lot of sodium. So I do think uh, adding that back in, uh, you know, especially to things like salads where you're getting a lot of other uh, micronutrients, potassium and things like that, magnesium, I think that helps a lot. And just really staying hydrated, adequately hydrated. Some people get orthostatic hypotension, you know, when they start it and their blood pressure goes down, which is generally a good thing. But uh, not so much if you have normal blood pressure. If you have high blood yeah. pressure, it could be could be a bad thing. Uh, I always ran a little bit high systolic pressure too. Uh, and when I started the ketogenic diet, it went from like 135 to like 115, and pretty much stayed stayed down that down there. So gotcha, nice. Um, and I, I also measured my ketones a lot and glucose levels. Um, I only did insulin in a, like before and then after like six weeks or so, and it, it did go down. Um, my HbA1c was from like 5.1 down to 4.6, I think. Um, and glucose actually was 
always around like in the 80s. It never got like super low. Um, but one thing I noticed with the ketone levels is when I started it, I was kind of, I wanted to do two different phases. And so the first phase had like all the traditional keto foods. So high saturated fat, meats, and things like that. Um, and we'll talk about it a little bit later, but my cholesterol went like crazy high. Um, but something else is that the ketones were probably between two to three pretty quickly. Like I got into ketosis, I mean, even within a week, I was seeing like two to three. Um, yeah. And then my second experiment was taking all that out and just doing almost entirely, you know, healthy fats like monounsaturated fats, olive oil, avocado oil. Um, and I found that my ketone levels were closer to like 0.5 to 1. I, they just wouldn't go up. Is that common? Do you see that for anybody trying to, you know, maybe do like a less saturated fat diet? Yeah, it, it could be that your body is, you know, utilizing the ketones more efficiently now. So we tend to upregulate transporters over time, uh, literally, and you get more across membranes and, and your ketolytic enzymes also increase. So you're oxidizing more of them for fuel over time. Uh, so that could be part of it. Uh, but yeah, I, I do see changes. Sometimes it goes in one direction, sometimes it goes in the other direction. And it's hard to tell unless you do a lot of blood work and even tissue analysis uh, we are looking at the ketone transporters, the monocarboxylic acid transporters before and after people start, you know, the ketogenic diet to gain some insight in that. So uh, we're actually analyzing the data now. So that should we did it in rats and, and, and mice, but now we're doing it in, in humans, too, and oh. seeing if, it, if that uh, those upregulation uh, mechanisms, you know, carry over to, to humans, too. We think they okay. do. Okay, yeah, because I, I had heard always that saturated fats and especially like MCT oils were more ketogenic, but it, it sounds yeah. like it, you're saying it might have just been that I got used to it and my body just started utilizing them more, so I was getting lower levels in the reading. Maybe. So you were adding MCT oil too with uh, when you when your levels went down? Uh, yeah. No, not, not when I added it. So um, okay. actually, you know, MCT oils originally it was coconut oil. Um, coconut so oil, I, yeah. I, but I don't think it's like a huge amount. Um, and then I just went to like almost entirely olive oil and avocado oil, just, you know, again, for experiment's sake, um, yeah. when it was again later, it helped a little bit, but not as much as when I really just started going back to like the really fatty cuts of meat personally. That's what I saw. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, I, I hear that. I hear that often too. Okay. So MCT oil is, is definitely a way to boost your ketones. And I think, um, incorporating MCTs into things like salad dressings or incorporating the food is definitely a good way to give you a 0.5 to 1 millimolar boost. Not yeah. coconut oil because there's not a whole lot of C8 and C10 in that, but if you just buy, you know, MCT oil online or at the health food store, that's, that's a good thing for people to start out with too. And you may not tolerate it that well, but it's a good way to get your ketones up. And that could help with the transition into ketosis. Gotcha. Um, and earlier you mentioned, you said about the anti-inflammatory properties of the ketogenic diet. Yeah. Um, I recall you said, I don't remember where I heard this, but you said that the higher levels of ketones act as a histone deacetylase inhibitor and that that can reduce oxidative damage. Um, so, when we talk about that, are we saying that just in general inflammation going down throughout, you know, if you're looking at like CRP levels or how are we measuring that inflammation going down? Mm -hmm. uh, well, we, we worked with a group at Yale and, uh, and 
gave them a ketone ester to elevate ketones independent of the ketogenic diet. So it was just kind of supplemental ketones. And they looked at a particular pathway called the NLRP3 inflammasome. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like an inflammatory hub that when it's activated, uh, it stimulates the production of a number of really powerful cytokines, uh, IL-1 beta, for example. I mean, thing, things that really cause systemic inflammation. So uh, the way that the study that they conducted determined that beta-hydroxybutyrate kept that inflammasome suppressed by preventing the, uh, the actual sort of uh, assembly of this inflammasome complex and also the, the activation. So through two different mechanisms. And that particular inflammasome pathway is chronically elevated and activated with autoimmune uh, disorders. So people who have chronic autoimmune disorders, also age-related uh, chronic inflammation is tightly associated with the persistent activation of this inflammasome pathway. So uh, by virtue of elevating beta-hydroxybutyrate, one of the primary ketone bodies, that plays an important signaling role by keeping that inflammasome suppressed, even in the presence of things that would otherwise activate it, like lipopolysaccharide, LPS, and things Mm -hmm. like that. So they evoked various pathways that would activate it, and it could prevent uh, the activation of that inflammatory pathway. So more research needs to be done, but, uh, but that was a very compelling study. It was, it was published in Nature Medicine, one of the, one of the top tier yeah. journals. And, uh, and it kind of pans out that some of the stuff that I saw myself measuring HSC reactive protein and uh, a lot of the blood work that I've seen with cytokines. We're doing a lot of mouse studies, doing very comprehensive cytokine profiles uh, would suggest that it has a mild to moderate suppression of inflammation if you get your ba- if you get your ketone levels up to about one millimolar, one to two, uh, and that's really not that high, but yeah. that's within a physiological range, and it could probably help a lot of people with chronic inflammation. I think. Yeah, and when you look into autoimmune diseases, I mean, one of the common threads is chronic inflammation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, one of the main drugs that they give are TNF alpha inhibitors, and yeah. mm-hmm. and I. Among what I've seen, ketogenic diets can decrease levels of TNF-alpha. Um, yep. So I guess that's one of the mechanisms there. Have you specifically seen a lot of research directly on ketogenic diets in autoimmune diseases like inflammatory bowel disease? No, but there should be. None, none, no studies that I know have really been funded. I do get quite a, bit of, uh, quite a lot of emails about mm-hmm. people telling me their story. Um, but it's really hard to determine whether it was the ketones, the ketogenic diet. A lot of times they follow the diet and they're like, well, I, I lost 10 pounds and my autoimmune, you know, so right. they, they, it could be a result of calorie uh, deficit, uh, which has anti-inflammatory effects. But I do, I think it's a combination of both. I think the, you know, following a ketogenic diet, is kind of like an elimination diet. So you may be, uh, avoiding some of the foods that would otherwise evoke, you know, some of these uh, inflammatory responses and, and also the mild calorie deficit that you get on top of an elevation of ketone bodies, which are pretty well established. They have anti-inflammatory effects. So I think you get like multiple kind of multifactorial things synergizing together to produce this anti-inflammatory state. I knew I had a skin disorder, uh, eczema, that was pretty bad. And it was on and off for many years. And since I've been doing this diet, like I never, I haven't had one episode 
of of eczema, and I it's something that I dealt with until um, before like for into my mid thirties, and then uh, it was always on and off kind of thing. Yeah, I've definitely read a lot of anecdotes of people reporting benefits from it. Yeah, uh, I'm glad though that you did point out though that. Um, you know, you're not entirely biased because you say sometimes it is the uh, the calorie deficit, and that is one yeah. thing that a lot is. I think the common person who doesn't, you know, maybe delve into the research thinks, oh, well, I lost 30 pounds on keto. It's the miracle diet, and really, they probably just didn't have as much of an appetite. Um, yeah, a benefit. I mean, a lot of people just don't want to eat as much food on it. Yeah. Um, so, what benefits uh, do you find compared to a calorie deficit inherent in the ketogenic diet? We kind of have already touched on the decrease in inflammation. Um, yeah. Are there mechanisms that you think it can increase fat loss aside from just the calorie deficit? Or is that one something that really just comes from the maybe lack of appetite? Yeah, I think it's primarily due to the lack of appetite. But, you know, it does. No one will, no metabolic physiologist will argue that your fat metabolism is ramped up, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so you have a lot of fatty acid oxidation pathways. When we look at the... Uh, metabolomics, you know, from the liver to the skeletal muscle to, the, you know, uh, all the different tissues, we see these, you know, changes associated with a shift away from glycolysis and a shift towards fatty acid oxidation, you know, in the, in the actual tissue. So uh, I just attended the uh, American Epilepsy Society meeting, and they had uh, data from, you know, uh, I think it was like 30 patients and showing that the anti-seizure effects of the diet was really associated with a shift from glycolytic pathways being activated to fatty acid and ketone uh, oxidation pathways being activated. And you could almost, there was like a pretty tight correlation, you know, the therapeutic benefits of the diet as it pertains to the brain, you know, brain energy metabolism and anti-seizure effect really was associated with, with shifting your metabolic physiology. And, uh, and we, we approach this from, you know, even the cancer perspective, too, because cancer, if you shift your metabolism, your metabolic physiology to be, uh, you know, fat and ketone, you know, burning, that actually targets what we call the Warburg effect, right? So the Warburg effect is uh, one of the kind of the hallmarks of cancer, uh, deranged energy metabolism. And being in that metabolic physiological state actually targets all the hallmarks of cancer, not just energy metabolism. It knocks down uh, angiogenesis, it knocks down proliferation, it knocks down invasiveness of the cancer, metastasis of the cancer. So metabolism is very complex. And when you shift your body's metabolism, and we are very metabolically flexible, that causes pretty profound consequences to your immune system, to the neuropharmacology of your brain, to brain blood flow. Uh, people's eyesight is better. You know, beta-hydroxybutyrate, when you're on the diet, the adenosine goes up and adenosine receptor signaling goes up. Mm. And that has a vasodilation effect. And that can, you know, increase blood flow to organs that may otherwise be ischemic or hypoxic. So sometimes people's eyes... You know, these, these have been documented, these kinds of things. So it's really hard to predict, and it's really hard to sum up uh, all the benefits. But in regards to fat loss specifically, I know I went around in a big circle, but I know with fat loss specifically, uh, I do think there are advantages above and beyond just the 
the ease of it, the ease the diet allows for in regards to uh, appetite suppression and calorie deficit. There's a, there's a lot more going on there. Uh, you just mentioned there about uh, you said the ketogenic diet increases adenosine levels, right? Yeah, we found levels that were like four or five times higher in our in our rats. Uh, and adenosine's a neuroprotective substance. Uh, we associate it with with coffee because adenosine's you know uh, caffeine's a re- adenosine receptor antagonist. That's what I was. Uh, gonna yeah, say. people say they have higher energy on a ketogenic diet. I would think higher adenosine would have caused more fatigue. You know? Yeah, but I think you know there's compensatory mechanisms and. I don't know kind of what it means from the standpoint of uh, adenosine has a stabilizing effect mm-hmm. on, on your brain, you know, by opening or, uh, yeah, opening potassium channels that hyperpolarize the membrane potential. So as a brain stabilizing effect, uh, but yeah, not, not a very, and a, and a vasodilation effect too, right? So you're getting more blood flow. Um, and some people can be pretty robust. I know there's one study showing a 30% increase You know, in brain blood flow, if you spike ketone levels up like one to two millimolar or something like that. So uh, so there's a lot of changes happening and it's hard to like really pin down any one contributing factor. I think it's many different things working in synchrony or synergy, I should say. Interesting. Um, Something that I noticed. So generally, when people think of lower carbs, they think of thyroid hormone going down a bit. Um, I the first couple of times I did ketogenic diet, I never noticed any real change in, or from what I could tell in my metabolism. But as I mentioned, those are cyclical. Yeah. Um, this time doing a full-on ketogenic diet, I noticed so I started at about 190 pounds. And I actually, I kept calories the same, which was definitely tough in the beginning because I was only eating a few foods and, you know, all those, that oil and everything was tough. But uh, I dropped down to about 186. So I assume mostly water weight. Um, but over the next like eight weeks, I slowly went up to about 193, and I kept calories like meticulously tracked, and I kept them the same. And I have no idea why that was. I've never experienced anything like that. But it literally was like this drop, and then I just slowly kept going up. Have you seen anything like that, and why that would be? You know, I don't really track my weight all that much. I know that I'm about 218 right now, and uh, that's kind of light for me, but I'm not trying to eat. or What I do track, though, more than anything else is strength. So if strength going is strength is going down, then I add calories. If my strength, you know, is where I want it to be, uh, so I don't track nowadays. I don't track uh, my my weight, my body weight, all that much. But I do track my strength, and I can tell you when I'm on a ketogenic diet and my calories are low or my proteins too low. If I add it back in and simultaneously, you know, get to the gym more, I put on muscle relatively fast. Yeah, you know, um, and I see no reason why people can't put on muscle, you know, with a ketogenic diet if they're in a big hurry to do it, uh, which I don't necessarily think is is a good thing. Uh, I, I think the slow, you know, uh, addition of muscle over time. I think, you know, a lot of people like to bulk and just throw in tons of carbs, and I, I think that's probably the, the, that's the kinds of things that actually caused health issues for me in the past. You know, yeah. like chronic inflammation. I'd have a flare-up of my eczema. Uh, I don't know. I would just, you know, it's, it would evoke a cold. My immune system would get hit, things like that. Now, I mean, I haven't had a cold. Man, I, I don't, in at least five years, I haven't had a cold. It's like, wow. 
I think uh, I think my, my body and my system tends to run really well with the way I'm eating right now. Like I said, it's not strict, but it's very yeah. uh, many, liberal, you know, diet. But how many calories are you eating now to maintain two eighteen? Uh, I would say on average, you know, some days it's definitely less than two thousand, but right. other days I'm working here on the farm. I'm in my truck now. That's just to stay quiet because it's kind of noisy around the farm. But uh, today I'm, I'm, you know. Uh, cutting cutting up logs with a chainsaw, carrying like I'm deadlifting all day, throwing things, you know, right. on on the trailer and stuff. And I'm working hard, so I think by the end of the day, I might have close to four thousand calories in today. But okay. it varies. I mean, it could be as low as fifteen hundred some days when I'm traveling to over four thousand if a day I'm really working hard on the farm. Uh, actually, I have not been to the gym in almost a month, but I've been doing a lot of heavy work outside. So yeah. I'm kind of itching to get back to the gym to test my strength. I do do have been doing chin-ups and stuff, and I can still do like 30 chin-ups and, and push-ups, oh. stuff like that. So uh, my body weight strength has, has maintained, but my gym strength probably went down just because I haven't been in the gym for a long time. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, and one thing you had talked about, I think, and I mean, a lot of people right now are doing ketogenic diet with intermittent fasting. That seems to be like the new yeah. folks like to do. Um, I, I think it was you who mentioned that intermittent fasting and, and maybe ketosis in general um, affects autophagy pathways related to like mTOR and um, AMP kinase, things like that. Is that yeah, it can. Uh, Rhonda Patrick talks about that a lot, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, any time you get an energy or calorie deficit, you could stimulate autophagy, right? Yeah. Uh, I do think. It, these things may be uh, sensitive to relative changes. So if you are doing a ketogenic diet, we know that that's a mild, you know, calorie restriction mimetic, even with, you know, normal calories because insulin goes down in various pathways. Uh, so in theory, and measuring autophagy is kind of difficult, but in theory, if you do a ketogenic diet and combine that with time-restricted eating, uh, aka uh, intermittent fasting, that may uh, give better results in terms of autophagy. Uh, we have personally, I've not measured that, mm -hmm. but I'm just saying like in theory, it makes scientific sense that that could further enhance autophagy and maybe some of the benefits you derive from that. But I do think that this is kind of tightly coupled to, uh, to a calorie deficit. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's interesting to speculate on it. I just think we probably don't have enough yeah. reason to really say much about yeah. it yet. Yeah, I could tell you that a consistent protracted calorie deficit as it pertains to like getting in contest shape can wreak havoc with your body sort of, you know, can really, uh, so I'm kind of a fan of doing more, uh, you know, restricting for a period of time and then getting a surplus amount of calories and letting the body rebuild and let your body relax and then hitting it hard, you know, with physical activity uh, sort of in a fed state, but fasted, like you, you're fasted, but your body's been fed previously. So yeah. your energy levels are kind of topped off, uh, but you're exercising in a state of relatively low glucose and insulin. And I think you get some, I have some recent data too, so maybe some better adaptive changes uh, in skeletal muscle when you exercise in, in, that, in that state. Like, gotcha. like your body is, has all the nutrition that it needs from previous days of eating, but you're actually working out in a semi-fasted state. Gotcha. You know, um, the, the jury's yeah. kind of still out on that. I think some people may argue that, but I think some of the data is leading in that direction. Okay, very cool. Yeah. So 
I know you said your calories are all over the place at times. Do you throw in any just like full on carb cheats? Does that still happen and you just go back and get it? Uh, you know, if I cheat, I don't really do it. I have so many ketogenic foods around the house, like uh, ketogenic chocolate scones, like blueberry pancakes, uh, ice cream, brownies, things like that. So I tend not to. And these foods are now to the point where they taste pretty close to the real thing. Yeah. You know, they're just made. Uh, so I tend not to like go off the wagon. Sometimes when my wife and I go out to eat I or go to the movies, I'll get popcorn. Okay. So that's kind of like my only cheat food that I can think of. And if we're traveling, like, you know, when we're in Naples, like I had the pizza in Naples or when we're traveling, traveling internationally, I will kind of sample the food in those areas. And you adapt fine to have the carbs in it? Yeah. What I generally do, if it's like we're in an area where I know I want to eat the, the custom, like customary dinner there, I will like fast throughout the day and then... Okay usually do a lot of walking or whatever when we're traveling and then eat that, but not overly indulge. You know, it's, it's all about kind of, you know, doing things in moderation, but I never, like I used to just go completely off the wagon and just, you know, eat a whole pizza and a tub of ice cream and cookies on top of that. And like, I would never do that again. I don't, I don't desire to do that again. (laughs) Yeah. Um, those foods that you mentioned, like a lot of like the cookies and scones and things, um, like Quest bars are technically ketogenic yeah. because four grams of net carbs. So I was looking at it and it says it's like 20 some grams of carbs, but I think all, all of that is like sugar alcohols or something. Um, yeah. is that is that fine to you in, in a ketogenic diet as long as the net carbs are? Yeah. I mean, I've eaten one or two Quest bars a day and stayed in pretty strong ketosis, especially if I'm pretty active. Uh, they're not ketogenic macros per se, but, uh, they changed the type of fiber from IMO to a, a corn fiber. And that, that fiber is essentially non-glycemic. You know, it's very low insulin response. So you could generally, you know, if you're following pretty strict keto macros, you could have a bar or two a day. And uh, my wife loves them. She actually eats a lot of them. And, and I tend to use them if I travel a lot too. Yeah. I throw them in my bag for just like emergency food if I need something. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think I think it's a good. It's low, definitely low carb, but I wouldn't call it a, a ketogenic food. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, and, and one thing we touched on earlier was the uh, the changes in cholesterol. And so yeah. I know you first did it. You mentioned it spiked, and you had mentioned it had gotten better. I don't know um, if you know your current values. Are you aware of your current cholesterol values? Yeah, I just got it measured. Uh, my HDL is like ninety, and my LDL is like uh, about about 120 or 110, somewhere okay. around there. So um, to me, I think that's fine, you know, to have 220 or 210 or something like that, total cholesterol. Uh, yeah. Triglycerides are pretty low, and uh, CRP is like non-detectable. Uh, insulin's very low. It's within physiological range, but it's just low in that range. Okay. So, uh, mine almost mirrors that entirely, except the LDL. So CRP was like 0.3. Um, triglycerides were maybe like in the 50s, HDL was in the 80s, um, but my LDL, I measured it after six weeks, and it was like, like 230 or something. Yeah, I've total, been that high before, yeah. Yeah, my total was like 370, it was pretty up there. Yeah, um, yeah. And then the next time, and again, I don't know if this was because I changed the fats or because I was just adapting, it was yeah. like 300, and LDL was, it was less, I'd have to look up the exact values, but it was, it was still high, I mean, still very high. My yeah. small, 
um, sorry, the low density LDL or small LDL, like tripled. Um, basically, it was very bad <laughs> by all yeah. standard markers. Um, I will. I have to do it again soon because now it's been like probably 16 weeks. So I'm interested uh-huh. to see change. But yeah. do you notice that like everybody eventually kind of gets back to normal or do the first like- three to six months, I would say, and it's that long, I could see some really high spikes in that. And then after, I mean, some doctors, keto doctors, you know, even will say, well, it takes about three months, but I think only after about six months do things really start to normalize. I'm just drawing back on a lot of the clinical data I've seen mm-hmm. at clinical conferences and seeing these numbers tracked over time in the kids and adults. So I think it really takes like up to a year really for your body to kind of fully be sort of keto adapted. And then, you know, there's things like adherence and, you know, there's a learning curve to the diet. So it's like, are you really in ketosis? So there's a lot of things, a lot of factors at play, but I think it takes longer than people realize to really, uh, for these things to go back to normal. And, and we still don't, you know, we really don't know what the elevated LDL means in the context of a high-fat ketogenic diet because it hasn't been studied. We do know what it means in the context of a, a standard Western diet. It could be atherogenic, but we don't know. It makes sense to me that with a ketogenic diet, you really, you need more uh, LDL to really transport not only the, the cholesterol, but the triglycerides and the, and the phospholipids and things like that. Uh, you need more transporters, and that's that's part of that transport system. It's a pretty complicated, uh, you know, it's a very complicated topic. And I think that even the people at the top, like Ron Krauss, and I know uh, my friend Peter Atia is on top of this, mm-hmm. and they're not fully confident, you know, with giving recommendations or even interpreting blood work. Uh, on ketogenic diets because the science is still emerging in this area. Yeah. Yeah. I actually uh, spoke with a cardiologist recently and he had uh, definitely controversial opinions on it, but he is all about like higher cholesterol levels. Um, yeah. He thinks LDL has a protective effect from like an yeah. infection point. Um, yeah. it, it's a carrier, as you said, for triglycerides and, and he, he doesn't see a problem with it at all. And he sent yeah. me probably close to 10 studies showing um, you know, when they looked at like elderly populations, those with higher LDL actually were living longer. Um, yeah. so yeah, I, yeah. I, all cause mortality. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. So, yeah. I, I think there's more important things to worry about really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. It is interesting. Um, so we, we kind of talked about before about if somebody wants to start, you said gradually introduce, well, I guess yeah. gradually increase fats, gradually lower carbs. Um, Anything else that you would say for them if somebody trying to get started or really just do it? And just kind of- I would say decrease your uh, your feeding, like uh, number of feedings throughout the day and just try to maybe push your breakfast or your first meal off from, you know, if it's 6 a.m. to like, you know, 9 and then to like 10, 11, 12. And then getting the intermittent fasting is something that I didn't really do until like the last five years. And I think it really helps people a lot. Uh, it did decrease that, uh, you know, because when you are fasted, it may be a behavioral thing, but I think it's a combination of behavioral control, uh, but also physiological changes that occur during that, uh, that time restricted, uh, window. So I think it's, I think the combination of those two things really makes adherence, uh, better. And it's not going to work for everyone, but I just think the feedback that I get is that 
you know, you could just take a normal standard diet and start to do the intermittent fasting. And then, you know, when you go to a ketogenic diet, it's just easier for people and vice versa, right? If you do the ketogenic diet, it makes intermittent fasting easier. Gotcha. Cool. All right. Well, just to wrap up with a quick speed round, three questions. It could be an answer, okay. uh, one word or one sentence. So okay. keto food. Uh, ketogenic ice cream. Ketogenic ice cream. Okay. Um, favorite keto supplement. Uh, I'd have to go with Kegenics and prove it keto OS 2.1 cause they're both the, basically the same ingredients. Yeah. Okay. Um, and what is something that you think we will find out the ketogenic diet is useful for that we don't have enough proof for now to say, uh, well, we only have data on animal models for epigenetic changes, but I do think data will emerge that ketone bodies cause changes in methylation of genes that can ultimately result in uh, a gene therapy or an epigenetic therapy better stated yeah yeah very cool man so uh everybody this is dom diagostino and i know you have a, a website your interviews are all over youtube now um so where can people find more of your stuff yeah, ketonutrition.org is kind of like uh, my one-stop shop there. So all the interviews, we have consultants, we have doctors, we have publications, uh, foods, keto foods, keto supplements are on there. Uh, I don't sell any supplements, but the things that we test in the lab are, are listed on there. So okay. uh, things that we're comp things that I use myself are, are listed on there. Gotcha. Yeah, that's, that's where I found the uh, Keto Mojo kit for my ketone levels, which has been very helpful. Yeah, I think it's helpful. I'm still a little bit on the fence. I also use the Abbott Precision Extra, but Keto Mojo's uh, getting better, and I'm still using it. Yeah. I use them both, yeah. Cool, cool. All right, well, thanks so much for talking. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you, David.